BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ben, do you know any Frank Zappa songs? Uh, yeah, there's something about yellow snow. Mm, okay. Wow. Uh, yeah. Hey, I listened to Zappa a little bit back in the day, you know, D, but <laughs> some heavy reefer days. So right. it's not really, you know, a huge Zappa fan. Get your business. Are like the really smart uh, hippie freaks were in the Zappa. Like guys who, like somehow or other could like still read and carry on logical conversations while really high. Those are the kinds of guys that are in the Zappa. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I've listened to Zappa a few times. If I, if I were around back in the day, I'd be like, oh, man, this guy's awesome. But I have uh, bands like Primus to uh, fill that void. Uh, Primus. Oh, yeah, yeah. Love Primus. Jerry uh, was a race car driver, drove so goddamn uh, fast, never did win no yeah. checkered flags, but he never did come in last. Am I right? That's pretty good. I, uh, I subscribe to Amazon Primus. <laughs> that, that was show's that. over, guys. We're done. We're not going to top that. <laughs> You know, guys, that was pretty good. You know, uh, puns are <laughs> really love puns. Uh, All right, your Ben so. Jarofsky show for Thursday, November twelfth, is brought to you by the Chicago Reader for the latest on what to do, where to go. Not much these days because of the pandemic, but also for the latest in Chicago political news, go to chicagoreader.com. And if you want to help out this program. Go subscribe, chicagoreader.com. And today's show is brought to you by the Chicago Federation of Labor. All right, your song of the day does come from Jim, and it is Squeeze Box by Ooh, The Who. The Who. Mama's got a squeeze box, daddy does a sleep at night. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. It is Thursday, November 12th, and yes, still live from my apartment and his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's the long-awaited Ben Jarofsky Show return of political activist Lorene Targos. And now your host, the long-awaited return. I mean, it's only been like a day. <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Michigan Madness Thursday. And here's why. Got an email from John James just the other day. I get emails from John James all the time oh, these days. Maybe the most basic name on the planet. Yes, and he's also the MAGA-loving Republican senatorial candidate who lost to Gary Peters in the Senate race in Michigan, Gary Peters being the Democrat, apparently taking his cues from one Donald Trump, John James, is refusing to concede. That's what his latest emails are all about. He's trying to raise money to fund his vote recounting scheme and scam. Only well, he doesn't quite put it that way. Instead of being honest and saying, I am a terrible sport, I want to win even when I lose, so please help me pay for my hissy fit. No, instead of saying that, 
He invokes a greater purpose, like he's defending the essence of American democracy itself. His email begins this way. Co-pilot, I have an important announcement, and I need you to read this entire email, end of quote. Co-pilot. I, I gotta I gotta tell you, D. That's just where I went. You know, Dennis and I have been around together a long time. That's just where my mind went when he was a co. See, he was a fighter pilot, John James. So that's like I'm his co-pilot. And I was like, yeah, I'm a little kid again. In fact, D, you were talking about a song, Sky Pilot. Yeah, that was a song that was popular in the '60s, and and then the airplanes were going. And they were, I'd be up in my little room with my model airplane. So that's kind of what John James was invoking. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm a co-pilot. Like being called a co-pilot. Then he went on to say, this is incredibly personal to me. I put my life on the line in Iraq to defend a fledgling democracy, and I flew missions to to protect free and fair elections. End of quote. I always get a little nervous when candidates resort to the military record to justify what they're doing. Quote, this campaign is not about me, he went on. It never has been. It's about making sure the people of Michigan have been heard loud and clear, end quote. Well, I think you're wrong there, John James, and all due respect, I think your campaign, like this letter, is pretty much all about you and nothing about the people of Michigan. And I think the people of Michigan have already been heard loud and clear, at least in this election, as in they gave incumbent Democratic Senator Gary Peters 2,721,207 votes, last I looked, and they gave you... 2,636,892, and the last I looked, 2.7 million is more than 2.6 million, so you lost. Because in politics, as in life, as in sports, the winner is the person who wins. <laughs> Unless, of course, you're running for president. You're kidding me. <laughs> no. So wait, the winner is the person who wins. <laughs> Unless you're running for president, then it's possible to win it even when you lose. I know it's confusing, D. I'm confused, too. But we learned this in 2016. And you know what's funny? When Donald Trump got to win, even though he lost, I didn't hear John James complaining back then. Although Senator Peters is ahead, the letter goes on. I have deep concerns that a sizable number of Michiganders. D, I didn't know they were called Michigan. Did you know they were called Michiganders? Well, I didn't until we brought this up like months ago and we had the same exact conversation. So how do you remember everything? It's it's not fair. The kid smokes like two packs of reefer a day. Oh, I smoke two perfect. packs of reefer a day. False. And it didn't even make sense. <laughs> Uh, how could you have such a good memory? That's astounding. Well, my job we is have- to listen to the Ben Jarofsky <laughs> show more than once. So anyway, yes, I guess we did call him Michigan. I don't remember that conversation, but they're Michiganders. Like there must be the way, you know, he had it right. I bet he got that part of the letter right. Couldn't it be embarrassing if it was they were called something else? Michigoosers or something? Anyway. Although Senator Peters is ahead, I have deep concerns that a sizable number of Michiganders may have been disenfranchised. (laughs) That's why I've asked my team to investigate and determine. I am 100% committed to making sure that every single legal vote is counted. Mm, End of quote. I don't think any of that's true. Sorry, John James, I don't have to respectfully disagree with you. I don't think your investigation has anything to do with determining whether any Michiganders have been disenfranchised. In fact, if I know what you're up to, 
you're trying to disenfranchise many of the Michiganders who voted. That is, the Michiganders who didn't vote for you. See, you figured out, as has Donald Trump, hmm, it's possible to win elections if I make it really difficult for people who are going to vote against me from voting, or even better, from throwing out the votes that they cast. It's really hard to lose when you don't let the other side vote. So it's got nothing to do with upholding the rights of the disenfranchised. It's about creating more disenfranchised. I think what you're really trying to do is somehow to magically uncount the votes that Peter's got, particularly in Wayne County, particularly in Detroit. That's where you're going. You want to disenfranchise people who've basically been disenfranchised for most of their lives. He closes by saying this, quote, I'm emailing you right now to help me fund the fight for free and fair elections in Michigan. End of quote. I knew he'd get around to asking me for money. Here's the deal. I have profound respect for veterans who use their service to take a stand for principles that don't necessarily benefit them. Like, for instance, the veterans who said they support Colin Kaepernick's right to take a knee, even if they disapprove of kneeling during the national anthem. Or veterans who say they supported John McCain for president because the virtues he exhibited in war and captivity had led him to believe he was the best candidate, even though I was for Obama. But to use your service to uphold this fictitious narrative that's being spread by Donnie Trump, that somehow or other people in cities like Detroit, in cities like Philadelphia, in cities like Atlanta somehow cheated. I know what you're saying. You're like, because they live in Detroit, Philadelphia, and Atlanta, there must be cheating going on. To use that fictitious narrative to uphold Donald Trump's administration, a man, I might add, who called dead American war heroes, losers and suckers, a man who dodged his own military service by finding a doctor willing to write him a deferment letter for bone spurs. I just think there's something really disingenuous about using your service to try to snatch an election from the candidate who beat you. And I ask you this, John James, where were you and Donald Trump and the rest of the Republicans were passing laws to make it harder for people to register? Where were you when they went to court to overturn the voters' approved referendum to allow former felons in Florida to vote? Where were you when Governor Abbott of Texas limited drop-off boxes in districts that were heavily Democratic so it was harder for people to mail in their vote in the middle of a pandemic? Where were you when Donald Trump boomed out a fake message that mail-in voting was illegal, even though he himself voted by mail? We could have used some Republican assistance in those fights for, quote, free and fair elections. But John James, you were AWOL in those fights, just like all the MAGA-loving losers in the Republican Party. We got a great show today, everybody. <laughs> I always like doing that to wake us everybody up. Lorraine Targos from the EPA will be here, our favorite scientist. Uh, EPA uh, scientist, activist, union uh, woman. Got a lot to say about... Uh, the environment got a lot to say about the ongoing debate in the Democratic Party uh, between sort of the AOC faction uh, and the moderates. Uh, Connor Lamb would be, I guess, the representative of the moderates, uh, congressman from Pennsylvania. Got a lot to say about that. And then, of course, as uh, chief of staff to uh, Alderman Byron Sixto Lopez of the 25th Ward, I'm sure she has a thing or two to say about Chicago politics as well. So we're going to be covering the whole gamut of politics uh, union, national, and local with Lorraine Targos. But before we do that, the young man from Alton 
the man they call Dr. D with the news. Lorene Targos. Come on, everybody. Lorene Targos. Yeah, that's right. Come on. Let's go. My name's Dennis. How's it going, everybody? Let's find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. And we begin with what? Yeah. Yeah. What? All right, Ben, I have our newsroom flagging me down at the moment. Needed a little help over here in the apartment. I brought one of the newsroom guys over. They're helping me out here. Oh, this better be good. Hold on. Let me run into the newsroom real quick. We must have some breaking news here. Just hang tight. I'm going to go to the newsroom. Hey, come on. Make it quick. We're live. Don't embarrass me. All right. Give him a raise. Never. Yeah. Okay. Tough in the newsroom. I got the story. Jesus Christ. You're kidding me. Your 2020 Illinois general election results. I am so sick of this election. (laughs) The 14th congressional district race between Democratic incumbent Lauren Underwood and her Republican challenger, the milkman Jim Oberweiss, is still, 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 still too close to call. We have the latest numbers. Thank you to the newsroom. This comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Lynn Sweet. Freshman Representative Lauren Underwood is coming close to building a lead. GOP challenger Jim Oberweiss cannot beat, her campaign told the Chicago Sun-Times on Wednesday. With more provisional and mail ballots being counted in the hard-fought race for the 14th Congressional District seat, Underwood was ahead of Oberweiss by 4,288 votes. A source told the Sun-Times some 5,000 votes remain to be counted. Underwood's number increased mainly from Will County votes. Oberweiss would have uh, would have to get an overwhelming abundance of those outstanding ballots to prevail. The latest numbers, according to the Associated Press, gives Underwood 50.5 percent to Oberweiss's 49%. In raw numbers, that's 200,037 votes for Underwood to 190,749 votes for Oberweiss. The Associated Press has not yet called the race. All right. Let me just say this. I'm really fair and objective about this, D, and very dispassionate as I uh, consider uh, these results. So Lauren Underwood, of course, the Democrat. As she said, a freshman as she's running for her uh, first re-election. And James Overwise, a very conservative Republican, uh, wears the MAGA with pride, uh, has run many times in many races before, uh, as definitely of the right-wing persuasion. And so let me say this about the election. <laughs> Sorry, that was really unprofessional. Wow, come on. Uh, nah, 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 you lose Overwise. That was really unprofessional. You know, D, I've been following Donald Trump for so long now that I'm beginning to sound like Donald Trump. A loser. <laughs> yeah, well, Oberweiss pu- tried to pull a stunt straight out of uh, Donald Trump's playbook. You know, he just declared himself the victor on election night. Uh, Oberweiss, you know, we have this thing called counting votes. Ever heard of it? Oh, I win. Oh, vote. <laughs> Election's over, guys. Who wants you ice cream? For, <laughs> for one vote, I, I should have done that. Ah, should have run in that election. And if my vote was the first one cast, that's it. Election's over. I win one to nothing. Good, Lauren Underwood. But, you know, uh, Lorraine Targos was 
mildly critical of Lauren Underwood when I was talking to her. See what she has to say about her. I, of course, a big fan of Lauren Underwood. Uh, but Laureen would say, well, you know, she could have pushed harder uh, for health care for all or pushed that off for it. But uh, maybe that's the reason the election was so close. Maybe she didn't go left enough. That's an interesting thought I hadn't thought of, D. Oh. So, um, but uh, I don't know. It's On the other hand, Oberweiss came hard at her. Uh, again, one more time, this is why he was uh, especially despicable, linking her to looting that occurred in Chicago, even though it has absolutely nothing to do with her. So I, I welcome those uh, numbers, D, and I'm hoping that it builds, increases. Let's see, 500,000, excuse me, 5,000 votes outstanding, um, and she's up by 4,200, uh, almost 4,300. Ah, Jimmy, 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 don't know. Maybe you can cut a deal with Gary Peters and take some votes from him. Maybe he can, like, lend you votes. That's the next thing the Republicans do. Um, I'm going to lend votes. You know, I, I lost. So I don't, actually, John, uh, John James might be calling Overwise. Go, can you lend me some votes? You're not. You're going to lose. Can you slip? Republicans, man, you guys are the worst losers. You're terrible winners, too, by the way. Donald Trump won the election last time around. I have it in quotes, even though he got fewer votes and claimed he had a, a, a resounding mandate. Remember that a resounding mandate. One of the greatest victories of all time. He lost the election. He lost the popular vote instead of like trying to be a candidate that worked in a coalition with Democrats, you know, like a parliamentary style government where you, if you don't win the absolute majority, you kind of like have to work with your opponents. No. He claimed a man. So they're bad winners. They're bad losers. They're just bad all around. <laughs> bad, bad, bad. All right. Well, I cannot wait to announce the winner of this election. So, Ben Jarofsky, for the sake of my sanity, when do you think this thing's going to end? Huh? Tomorrow? Well, it depends. Defined end. Uh, I hate to go all Bill Clinton on you. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, I, yesterday we did mention that Oberweiss will be uh, going to court with this thing. So, oh, yeah, my God. You know what I mean? So it may be uh, AP, uh, a news outlet, which uh, is sort of the barometer in these things, uh, although the New York Times is not following them in Arizona for reasons I'll never know. They may declare Ober, uh, excuse me, uh, Oberweiss has lost let Lauren Underwood is one, but I, as you just pointed out, Oberweiss will take it. So, D, it could be, we could be talking about this uh, in December. Sagar Magani, get on it, Associated yeah. Press. Come on. Oh, let me uh, go uh, to Sagar Magani. That was, Remember that, that was guy? Like flash, yes. Sagar Magani. Oh, my God. Can I just, it would be the old days when we were on AM radio together, and I can't remember the name of the station, but anyway. Oh, it was really WCPT A20. They fired you. Oh, yeah. I forgot. That's great. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me of that. Yeah, no problem. But uh, uh, so there would be that moment. I would be waiting for my guest to come in, and usually the guest was late. Uh, I'd be like, uh-oh, uh-oh. And usually and, uh, I'm the one that has to run all the way to the front of the radio station <laughs> to grab the guest and throw them into your studio as I produce a- the show, answer the phones, <laughs> uh, write the news. Oh, good God. <laughs> Ah, the good memory. There's only three other people in the the room closest to the door. I'm not leaving my room. I'm going to pretend I don't hear the doorbell. Ding dong, ding dong. Anyway, I just remember his voice coming over my uh, headphones. Sunger Mug. Was he the um, congressional correspondent? Uh, I don't don't know. I'm Sunger Magani. 
But a lot of the stuff he gave me, I would listen to it. I go, oh, good. That's uh, new news. That's information I could use, uh, you know, <laughs> to, to say something while I waited for the guest ah, to come in. The tricks of the trade of AM radio. The All right. Moving on. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. Face coverings. Yes. <laughs> Face coverings. Right now, as we speak, our Democratic Governor J.B. Pritzker is attending the virtual Chicago Quantum Summit. It involves the impact of quantum science on Chicago and Illinois. And at 2.30, Pritzker will be at the Thompson Center for his daily COVID-19 update. Uh, We mentioned this yesterday, thanks to the coronavirus. Illinois' annual fall veto session has been canceled. Senate President Don Harmon, along with Illinois' most polarizing figure, one Michael Joseph Madigan, and they must have realized that maybe the idea of getting 177 people together in one room to scream in each other's face back and forth about (laughs) policy during a pandemic isn't the best idea. And apparently, they legally cannot have a virtual veto session. So now, and uh, Ben, we should have seen this coming. With a canceled veto session, our Illinois friends of the conservative persuasion are now crying Mike Madigan conspiracies. Wait a minute. Hold on. I still not sold on that they can't legally have a virtual. I figured you would bring that up. Yeah, I just don't buy that. Oh, did you do some research last night into that? Yeah, no, I didn't actually. (laughs) Pat Whalen, our dear friend, dear friend of the show, uh, was the one who texted that to us. I think, God, I I just my inner radio texted that to us today. Uh, And uh, then I called Pat and I had a great conversation with him about everything other than that, D. That's the problem. You know what I mean? You start talking about this thing, you start. So I, you know, I haven't had time to research. I don't buy that. I think they can have a virtual meeting if they want. They don't want to have one. That's why they're not having it. Uh, I don't know. Where's, right. where's Rich Miller? Come on. Look into that, Rich. All right. Well, we have some, enough things to do, Ben. All right. We do have some Republican quotes to read for you this Ooh. afternoon. Yes. Just okay. uh, wait. Let me get my music ready here. Hold on a second. Let me see. Okay. <laughs> Good to go. First up, it's Steve Reich. Republican state representative out of Woodstock, Illinois. Steve is wondering if there may be more to the veto session cancellation. State Representative Steve Reichs in a public press release said, quote, no one is discounting the severity of COVID-19, especially now that we are in the midst of a second wave. However, we were able to meet safely in May and with proper precautions, we can meet safely now. We have a top-notch Springfield staff that pulled together a safe environment in May that in that included testing, mask mandates, and an abundance of hand sanitizer and more than enough room to practice social distancing. Not one legislator contracted COVID-19 during our session in May, so we know full well the staff is capable of pulling this off. But wait, there's more! Yeah, it's <laughs> I had a fake. <laughs> you out there. Reichs goes on to say, I can't help but wonder if the cancellation has more to do with political unrest within the House Democratic Caucus than it has to do with health and safety. I certainly hope that's not the case because it would be a great injustice if Speaker Madigan has placed his political problems ahead of our ability to do the people's work during a scheduled veto session. 
We have a multi-billion dollar budget hole to fill and we need to be in session in order to have a voice in crafting a solution. In addition, I I mentioned in a recent letter to the governor that we need to return to Springfield so we can hit the reset button on our COVID-19 response and work together on a better plan. Okay, that's it. Um, Well, first of all, I was taking notes on on that statement and that comment. I certainly hope this is not the case. I had a laugh when I I chuckled when I saw that. I certainly hope, like, you made an accusation. Now you're like, oh, I certainly hope the accusation I made about my opponent is not true because I wouldn't want people to think I actually wanted to think he was a dirty dog. (laughs) My opponent's a dirty dog. I hope that's not the case. (laughs) Hey, I'm with you. Let's get the meeting. I don't buy that it's uh, unsafe. And I really don't buy you can't do it by uh, Zoom. The whole world is doing Zoom. The city council does Zoom. I mean, good God. I think every city council, town council, village council throughout the state of Illinois is, is doing virtual meetings. So I don't know. I don't know. Suddenly, wait. You oh, that's the thing. Like, there's, let's say there is a rule against it. What is that rule etched in stone? Just cannot change that rule. That rule is just, uh, uh, it's carved in that tree over there. We can't change it. So I don't buy any of it. I'm with you. What was the guy's name? Oh, boy, Reich. I'm with you, Reich. Something is a foul here. What could it be? <laughs> yeah, the Republicans. Oh, so you're with them. You. you think you, you're you with them on this. You think it's because yeah. of Madigan. They're canceling it. I absolutely uh, believe that um, there's no reason they shouldn't have it. And I also believe that they don't want to answer any questions about Michael Joseph Madigan. Mm. I think that's clearly the case. Uh, So, yeah, been saying that all along. And uh, I want them to have the meetings. I want. Well, you know, I'm really hesitant to say what I'm about to say. I'm going to pull it back because even though nobody got sick the last time around, you know, it's a dangerous pandemic to put it mildly so if the city council's not meeting if the supreme court is not meeting everybody's doing it virtual they should do it virtually so i hesitate to say to go through the whole rigmarole uh, that they went through remember it was in was it in may did he say i can't, I've lost track of time where they what they had to check out they had to rent out the holiday inn remember that and the desks were all part and you know they, they're not letting high school kids play basketball you know what I'm saying? They're not. They've canceled all the sporting events uh, for fear that any kind of contact, unnecessary contact, uh, might spread the virus. So I just think they should do it virtually. And I agree. I'm going to say something radical. D. I agree with the Republicans. Oh my God! Yeah, I, I agree with the Republicans. And yes, I'm going to say something really radical. But I'm going to wait for you to announce it about who I actually agree with. But yes. I agree with the Republicans. Wow. On this those, those Have tea, the session. Those Tea Party emails are finally working on you, buddy. <laughs> I get 20 an hour. 20 an hour. They're like bombarding. That's the bombardment sounds. Oh, my God. That's bombardment. Oh, wow. So that is uh, the latest uh, in Ben Jarofsky's impression catalog. <laughs> that's good. One more time. <laughs> Oh, wow. Holy cow. <laughs> That's me being bombarded by Tea Party emails 20 uh, a, uh, a month, 20 an hour. 
20 an hour I get. All right, we do have more Republican quotes to read here. But first, shout out to our friend Stephen on the live stream chat. Stephen says, hey, can someone explain a veto session for all the kids that maybe slept in the back of civics class? A uh, veto session is where they gather to uh, uh, override vetoes of the um, that the governor may have in- instituted. There's a whole different set of rules. I can't remember them at the moment. Where I sh- where is Rob Martwick when I need him? He knows the rule book by heart. Stay Senator Rob Martwick. Uh, but uh, so it's not the regularly uh, scheduled assembly meeting, which is session. Excuse me, which is like January to May. Uh, it it's the fall session. Uh, where they meet to sort of finish up the legislation that has to be finished up. You thought they passed it uh, back in June, but no, there's some details that have to be worked out. Uh, maybe they want to override a veto that the governor made over the summer. So it's a special gathering of the, um, the, the House of Representatives and the Senate to deal with issues that they have not fully uh, dealt with left over from the last session, which would have ended May 31st or June, which usually gets extended anyway. So listen, Stephen, the basic point is these uh, the schedule is made to be broken. Let's put it that way. Next up, it's Republican state rep Amy Grant out of Wheaton, Illinois. Amy Grant's not buying it. She believes this session was canceled because of Madigan. Here's the statement from Grant. On Tuesday, Speaker of the House Mike Madigan's chief of staff announced that the fall veto session is canceled due to concerns over COVID-19 in proximity to the upcoming holidays. In response to the announcement, State Representative Amy Grant issued the statement. Oh, okay. Well, that wasn't the statement. Here's the statement. Oh, boy. (laughs) Color me embarrassed. Here's the statement. Grant said, quote, I question the motivation behind this cancellation. We were able to meet safely in May in an environment that included testing, mask mandates, regular use of hand sanitizer, and more than ample room to practice social distancing. No one from the House, Senate, or staff contracted COVID-19 during our session in May, so we know staff is capable of putting adequate safety precautions in place. Congress is meeting, and there's no reason why we shouldn't be. The people of Illinois are counting on us to do our jobs, and since we know we can safely meet, I must wonder if the cancellation is more about Madigan's growing unpopularity within his caucus and the governor's disinterest in engaging with the legislature than it is about our health. We have to get back to Springfield and legislators must be allowed to have a voice in future COVID-19 decisions. This cancellation sends a bad message to Illinoisans who want their voices heard through their elected representatives to the House. I kind of agree with her. I would never vote for her in a million years. Uh, I would have supported Ken Beal. I think she ran against Ken Mejia Beal, did she not? That was a closer race than people uh, thought was going to happen. Um, yeah. I do believe uh, that the cancellation has more to do with sort of pushing. It, it's classic Madigan. It doesn't really work, by the way. It doesn't work at all. I mean, here we are talking about it, right? So the notion that if you cancel the legislative session, uh, people won't talk about Michael Madigan's predicament, and he's in a a, a predicament, to put it mildly, uh, is erroneous. So it's not going to work. But it's just a classic Madigan. It's just part of my frustration with Madigan, D. This is like, I've been saying this for the last couple of weeks. If Michael Madigan is not going to step up and defend himself and defend the way he has run the party and defend the way he leads uh, the House, 
then I don't think he should remain in those positions. It was a full page uh, advertisement in the Sun-Times yesterday for many of the unions, many of the unions that supported this show. And they were noting how Michael Madigan stood up for unions uh, during the four years that Rauner was in office. And I agree with them. And it got me to turn my attitude about Madigan that he took that strong stance. But I would like to see that strong stance on his behalf or the Democratic Party's behalf. And I would like to see Michael Madigan, I've said this before, be a little more like Donald Trump and just face the cannons. You know, it's like defend yourself. And so this notion like, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll avert uh, criticism of me. I'll try to avert attention being focused on the fact that Democrats are really uncomfortable with my leadership, or some Democrats are really uncomfortable with my leadership by postponing the legislative session. I don't think I don't think that is a satisfactory response. I don't think it'll build support. I don't think it helps your allies who are trying to figure out a way to defend you. I can tell you, D, there are state reps and there are state senators of the Democratic persuasion. And I will not name names because private conversations should remain private. Who said to me, could you hold hold off on asking me about Madigan? You don't know what to say. He's the boss of the party. He runs the house. You know, he's the man in charge. As always said, he's the one with the pass to the bathroom. Everything you need in in Springfield, you got to go to him to get. If you criticize him, the fear is you'll be punished. That's the mindset. On the other hand, they know. They know that he has become a very helpful tool for Republicans. And Republicans are gaining. They had a. I hesitate to say they. It, it was a across the board triumph. But as the Chicago Tribune editorial board is pounding his chest this morning, because you know they they wear the MAGA with uh, pride, the Republicans did get some victories in this last uh, go around this last election. Uh, Even in the city of Chicago, there were more Republican votes for Donald Trump uh, and Pat O'Brien than had been previously cast for uh, Trump in 2016 and the Republican state's attorney candidate. So even in Chicago, they had gains. And so they're like, Madigan is a useful tool for them. And they're going to keep using that tool. And Democrats, if they think they can avoid having Madigan be the tool that Republicans use by what? Not meeting? I think you're fooling yourself. And you see Pritzker's distancing himself from this. You notice that, day? Pritzker's, you know, don't blame me for it. I want him to meet too. So, I, I don't know. I'm with, I'm with the Republicans on this one. Come on. We all see what's going on. We know what's going on. And I say to Michael Madigan, as a guy who respected what you did for the Democrats and unions, in those four years of router, stand up for yourself. If you're not willing to stand up for yourself, if you're not willing to defend yourself, if you're not willing to try to go before the voters and assert why you're being unfairly targeted or why you're deserving of four more years, whatever it is, of leadership, if you're not willing to go do it, then step aside and have somebody in charge who is willing to be a public voice for the Democratic Party. This days of the Wizard of Oz, it's over, D. 
the days of where like the magic man with all the power in the back room, everybody dangling from his strings, it's got to end. It's a new age. Democrats will lose this state if they play completely by the old rules and the, the old ways. I really believe that. So if you're not willing to be the public face of the party that you lead, if you're not willing to stand before the microphones, step aside and let somebody else take charge. You know, if you're going to be the public face in 2020, the governor has two words for you. Face coverings. <laughs> Put a covering on that public face. <laughs> and finally, what a weird week it's been. On Tuesday, who saw this coming? We gave a shout-out to Illinois State Rep Will Gazzardi. And today, we got to give a shout-out to the Chicago Tribune editorial board. Because, my God, you guys have given us so much content since this show has been around. <laughs> The Tribune editorial board are going full on Alex Jones today. Yes, they are. Ladies and gentlemen, they have the documents. <laughs> oh, they sure are, man. Here's the Tribune That's editorial nice. board. Rather than bring lawmakers back to the Capitol where face-to-face interactions could intensify conversations to oust him, rather than deal with a major budget shortfall, a pension crisis, or a timely legislative black caucus agenda that includes criminal justice reform, rather than pass overdue ethics legislation that would put the ComEd investigation in the spotlight, Madigan canceled veto session altogether. Let Governor J.B. Pritzker, who who recently joined others in calling for Madigan's ouster as a state party chair, struggle with the budget and pension headaches himself. Make him wear the jacket. This is about that, too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tribune. Tribune. All right, look. <sighs> Chicago Tribune editorial. I read it. And I know that many of my liberal friends uh, have been urging me not to read Chicago Tribune editorials anymore. Do they always tell me, don't read them, Ben. <laughs> don't do that to yourself. But they I Gotta go through life with an open mind. I gotta see what the other side is saying. And my attitude about the Tribune, even though they have a point in this editorial, even though it's absolutely clear the game that's going on in Springfield right now, it's so absolutely clear that the Tribune editorial writers see it. Even though that's the case, I'm sorry, D. I've said this before, I'll say it again. They have forfeited their right to be critical of Michael Joseph Madigan. Why, you ask? Good question, Dennis. The reason they have forfeited that right to be critical of Michael Joseph Madigan is because they've been too chicken to take a stand about Donald John Trump. Now, you know my position on this, ladies and gentlemen. If you're going to assert yourself as like a moral authority of politics, you cannot limit your criticism to one party or one person. You have to broaden it so that you stand for principles that encompass all parties and all politicians. So you can't just say, oh, I hate Michael Joseph Madigan. I'm going to invoke all these principles and use them to hammer him, and I'm going to pretend Donald John Trump doesn't exist. I remember when the New York Times broke the story about Donald John Trump's taxes and how he's ducking and dodging and using using all these like slick moves, little sleazy moves to avoid paying his taxes. And he was facing a huge liability on this. He probably could face criminal prosecution if he's defeated, which is probably why he's fighting so hard to stay in office. I was like, oh, let's see what the Tribune has to say about that. Not a word, D. Not one word. 
I remember talking to my dear friend, Mick Dunkey, about it, who's much more reasonable than I am. Much more, like I would say, just fair. It consists to get that Midwestern fairness to him. I go, Mick, they didn't write about it. He was like, well, Ben, you don't understand. <laughs> this is the way it works with editorials. See, they have to, they already have editorials they've already written. So if like you have breaking news, it takes a few days before they write the editorial. I go, oh, that's interesting. Well, the Sun-Times got it out. Well, their editorial out. Well, yeah, but you know. It takes a while. So I said, all right, I've been watching. Mick, I got to tell you, I've been watching. I think it's been two months. They still haven't gotten the editorial out. In other words, when it comes to Trump, they see nothing because their eyes are closed. When it comes to Trump, they hear nothing because their ears are closed. And then they want us to get all fired up at Michael Joseph Maddox. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. Sorry, guys. You can't ignore ethics violations, ethics violations that occur virtually every day in the Trump administration, and then make a big deal about the ones in, on Madigan's watch. Just like with, uh, oh my God, I still can't get over it. I, can't, I still get the Kim Fox re-election campaign. Huge editorial in the Tribune endorsing Pat O'Brien. Huge editorial, like the most important race in the country at that moment was Cook County State's attorney. And then like this little, <laughs> this little editorial about well, you might vote for Joe Biden. <laughs> yeah. Should have been reversed. The Biden editorial should have been the huge across the page spread, supposed to buried at the bottom. So afraid of criticizing Donald Trump. So, guys, I'm sorry, Tribune. Yeah, you may have had a point. Every now and then, D. Hey, what do they say? Even a broken watch is right twice a day. I think you were the one who taught me that. I, think, I actually think you taught me that uh, saying. So, yeah, every now and then the stream gets it right. But I'm sorry. Till they take a stand about Donald Trump and the Republican Party's ethics violations? Uh-uh. Negatory. Here we go. Here's their license to write about Madigan. We got to rip it up. There you go. So that's what I think about the Chicago Tribune's editorial, Dean. So there you are, the conservatives crying conspiracy over the canceled fall veto session. Hey, who knows? Before the end of the program, we may have a quote from downstate rep Darren Bailey on this. That is correct. <laughs> I hear your Uncle Eldon's going to weigh in. Now, little Danny, listen. <laughs> Dennis, I got a question for you. Okay. I'm starting to really believe that your Uncle Eldon is Darren Bailey. What do you think of that? No, huh? no, not the case. <laughs> Uncle, <laughs> have they ever been seen in the same room? Oh, I mean, Bailey is a hog farmer. If, if Darren Bailey were my uncle, I'd have so much uh, pork in my freezer. <laughs> yeah, there's that point. Good point. Come on. Now to the news in the city of Chicago. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Don't bait us. Okay, we're not baiting you. <laughs> Oh my God! That was a blab. I haven't heard that one in a while, D. That was that was the Kim Fox press conference, right? Mm-hmm. Wasn't that that? Where's that from? Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! Mm-hmm. Good, good times. Good times. Don't bait us. Yes. Okay. Right now, as we speak, Mayor Lori Lightfoot is at City Hall for her 12.45 p.m. update on the city's response to COVID-19. We will try to keep you posted on that as today's program rolls along. But we have enough Lightfoot pandemic news to discuss already. And hey, who remembers these classic Lori Lightfoot PSAs from a few months back? (laughs) Apologies to all the Aries. 
But if you stay at home now, maybe you can celebrate with the Geminis later. (laughs) Just stay home. Save lives. You remember those, right, Ben? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That was like March, was it? April? That was like March, yeah. Ah, the good old days, D. The good old days. The mayor is back with a new pandemic public service announcement. And in this new video, Lightfoot takes a jab at our soon-to-be former president, Donald Trump's re-election failure, stating that science is back, baby. Also making an appearance, making an appearance in this video, the mayor's right-hand woman, Chicago Public Health Commissioner Dr. Allison Arwadi. She reminds us to wash our dirty-ass hands. This video begins with a nightmare sequence. Like to hear it? Here it goes. Heads up. The ones from a few months ago were way better. It's the latest <laughs> PSA from Mayor Lightfoot and Dr. Allison Arwadi. Thank God. Science is back, baby. And the earth is round, not flat. Washing your hands does work. Social distancing does matter. And wearing a face covering does help protect all of us. I do love science. Get the guitar back, please. <laughs> yeah, and the haircut thing. Remember that? Uh, the good old days. <laughs> yeah, I um, uh, also have to say, folks, uh, you couldn't see it. I'm sure you've already seen it by now because our listeners are news junkies, so they're all over this stuff, and it's on Twitter. So, you know, <laughs> if you want to keep Ben from knowing something, put it on Twitter. Uh, but even I saw it on Twitter. Someone tweeted it to me. Or texting it to me, I should say. So, you know, I mean, it's good that she uh, says it, but let's be honest, Dennis. The problem with people wearing face masks is not really um, a Chicago thing. You know, I mean, a lot of people in Chicago are wearing face masks. Is it important to reinforce it? I realize that there's a lot of people having uh, parties where they don't wear the face masks. So I I understand all that. Uh, But I'm not sure... Uh, any of those people will be deterred by this per particular um, public service announcement. I think at the risk of you calling me cynical and jaded and uh, a longtime observer, too long observer of Chicago politics, I think that this is just a tricky way of linking Lori Lightfoot using a public service announcement, random people uh, about uh, the pandemic. Just kind of a tricky way to letting everybody know that she's not for Donald Trump. Oh, my God. You're so cynical and jaded. (laughs) No, it's like, I'm for science. I'm not like Donald Trump. Yeah, I'm not trying to, you know, to defend the president, but I don't think he ever said the earth was flat. Uh, No, that was, uh, who was it? Uh, uh, The basketball player who said the earth was flat. Uh, Kyrie Irving said the earth was flat. (laughs) Remember that one? Yeah. (laughs) Guys, uh, don't really engage Kyrie Irving in 
conversations about uh, science. I think the earth was flat to defend Lori Lightfoot was just sort of like a metaphor. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, just sort of a metaphor to explain the hostility uh, to science that is so prevalent uh, in MAGA nation these days. But I don't know, D. I, that's my, that, I think this was less a public, public service announcement and more sort of a campaign announcement. You know, she gears up for the budget fight. There's going to be a budget fight coming up. Uh, and she will be portrayed by members of the Progressive Caucus, some members of the Progressive Caucus, I should say, and members of the Democratic Socialist Caucus as kind of like almost Trump-like. Not, they, I don't think they'll go that far, but almost Trump-like uh, in some of her austerity measures. So, you know, the, I think she's just getting ahead of that game a little bit with this public service announcement, in quotes. She's air quotes, D. Because uh, I don't really, I don't know. I don't believe there's just like a lot of, like, let's put it this way. The hardcore Lori Lightfoot fans that love her, and there's a bunch of them out there, as we talk about all the time, are already wearing their masks, right? And the people who uh, should be wearing their masks, I do not believe are going to be swayed by uh, her commercial, you know, her humorous commercial. So that's just my thoughts on that one, Dean. All right. Before we go any further here, a shout out to live stream chat listener Radio Doogie. What's up, Doogie? Uh, apparently, Doogie is uh, making some. He, Doogie wakes up at like one in the afternoon every day, so he's making breakfast at the moment. <laughs> and uh, he let us know that uh, he's in the kitchen, and right now we're on surround sound in Doogie's kitchen. So Ben, if you could, can you give Doogie a little cat out of the bag? <laughs> How'd that sound, Doogie, me, huh? Sound pretty good? I thought you were going to ask me to sing Sky Pilot again. No, you know, we're not. It's, like, it's got this, like, this reverb in it. Sky, wah, 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 pilot, wah, wah, wah. No, I'd like to keep people asking. listening, so I'm not going to ask okay. you to sing. Sorry. All right. Uh, well, now, moving on here, we forgot to touch on this story from a couple of days back, and it is worth mentioning. A Chicago City Council member recently aired out his COVID concerns. It's time for our favorite daily Chicago political soap opera. It's time for a mayor and her alderman. A mayor and her alderman. <laughs> Today's episode of A Mayor and Her Alderman is starring Alderman Brendan Riley. Ben of what ward? Come on, 42nd Ward, Gold Coast. Oh, good Lord, what a nerd. <laughs> you know whose predecessor was? No. Burton Terrace. <laughs> I can't remember who Burton Terrace's predecessor was because Burt was elected in 1971. That's when Burt was elected, 1971. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Fran Spielman. Governor J.B. Pritzker's decision to close restaurants and bars to indoor patrons has driven partiers underground and alderman mm. brendan riley says they're taking advantage of cheap rates at chicago hotels and airbnbs to hold parties with potential to become super spreader events riley sounded the alarm about underground parties outside the city's regulatory reach during the final day of virtual city council budget hearings here's the quote from riley quote we are incentivizing the use of hotel rooms downtown for these big parties hotel rates are cheap 
Lots of kids are coming down here and renting out these hotel rooms on the weekends. And these aren't parties of five or six people. We're talking 60, 70, 80 people. These are in licensed licensed hotels. Riley said he has talked to the Illinois Hotel and Lodging Association about the problem, saying, quote, they're great and so are their members. But there are a few hotels that have turned this into a business model. Riley went on to say, quote, there are literally profiting off the fact that bars and restaurants have been closed. Layer on top of that, all of the Airbnb parties that are being thrown, never mind the private residence parties being thrown, huge groups, totally unregulated, no masks, no distancing, super spreader events. Bars and restaurants are being penalized for all of that bad behavior and shutting down a regulated industry that does a really good job enforcing the city's and the state's rules only is going to grow the opportunity for these super spreader events in hotels airbnbs and private residences ben jarofsky your thoughts you know uh this story was in today's uh sun times so i don't know that i know that's not uh germane anything but uh it was on the line two days ago d could you look into that why it took two days to get in the newspaper for geezers like me to read but i found it interesting uh brendan riley it, i was like you know whenever i read a story like this i'm always oh god here's the cynic in me again trying to figure out what's his real agenda you know, what's like, why is he raising this as a particular issue? And when you got to that quote, D, where he goes, bars and restaurants are being penalized uh, for all of that bad behavior. I got a feeling, you know, I got a feeling this is really an attempt to stick up for bars and restaurants and throwing hotels under the bus. Uh-oh, here's that bus. <laughs> Go over the bus. You know, I've been wrestling with this one for uh a long time now everybody knows that i'm kind of blow uh flag in the uh in the breeze with this one because i really do want i feel for the restaurants and um the people who work in restaurants and i want them to stay open uh and so i'm i, I really struggle with this if you if you do re- regulate a restaurant doesn't that limit it i mean on one hand it's like if they want all these legislators to get together in springfield and they say that's safe that's what everybody's saying right now, right? We just got finished quoting all these legislators in the Chicago Tribune editorial. They said it. It must be true, right, D? So they want everybody to get together there. Uh, but we gotta, we cannot tolerate anybody in a restaurant right now. I don't know. So, yeah, I understand why you would want to stand up for Brendan Riley. They're key uh, constituents of yours. Your ward, the 42nd Ward, the Gold Coast, has a lot of bars and a lot of restaurants in it. And I'm sure they're very generous uh, donor- donors to your campaign. So I, I understand you want to stand up to them. But kind of thing, you're throwing the hotels under the bus here. I mean, the reality is that a good chunk of the people in and around Chicago do not take uh, the virus seriously. And these are people who are not going to be swayed by a Lori Lightfoot uh, PSA, and they're not going to be swayed by appeals from Dr. Allison Arwadi or uh, Governor Pritzker. It's it's unfortunate. And uh, so if they can gather in a hotel room to have a party, they'll do that. If they can gather in their house to have a party, they'll do that. Uh, and uh, I just think uh, to a certain degree, D, that this is just a way of uh, Brennan Riley putting pressure Uh, like hotels, to try to make hotels the bad guy, uh, to maybe put some pressure on the mayor uh, to uh, allow a little freedom and leeway for restaurants. So, I, uh, you know, Brennan, you're standing up for your your constituents, I guess, is one way of looking at it. 
but I'm not sure. I'm not sure that the hotels are any more the bad guys in this than whatever. Remember, the, remember the house on the west side when they all the people in that house were the bad guys. Mayor Lori Lightfoot was really mad having parties in her homes. I think it's just in general, as you put it, D. Uh, people don't want to abide by um, social distancing rules and regulations uh, and recommendations. They want to continue their life as it's always been. And so we're paying a price. Old uh, human error, I guess it is, that uh, is keeping this pandemic going. So what will happen next for Riley? Well, I guess we won't find out until our next episode of A Mayor and Her Alderman. I don't want an answer. It's not something you ignore. I think you're 100% full of shit is what I think. And you think we want a fight to fuck you then. Okay. Are you reading the magazine there? No, I just can. Uh, I just got this article here. I wanted to set up because I had to switch the pages of the Tribune to get to the editorial. Now I had to go back to the article. But I'm looking at the clock. We got uh, Laureen uh, about ready to come in. Maybe I'll hold this off until uh, we return. What do you think, D? I think we're going to do a a show decision here. What do you think? That sounds like a great idea. All right. All right, everybody. It's Laureen. Uh, she's she's uh, texting me here. I'm going to reach out to Laureen. We're going to get her on the program here. Remember, follow us online at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can always send us an email at uh, Benny J Show at gmail.com and call the Ben Jarofsky Show. That's right. We have a phone number, 708-658-4788. That number again, 708 658 Four seven eight eight. Leave us a voicemail. Tell us what's on your mind. Watch your language. And who knows? We may play your voicemail on the next Ben Jarofsky show. Don't go anywhere. The Ben Jarofsky show will be right back. We are live from my apartment and his attic. Yeah, you just heard the brown line there.
two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, November 12th is brought to you by the Chicago Reader and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Uh, one of my favorite guests is with us, Laureen Targo. She covers a lot of bases uh, on the show, EPA scientist, union activist. Uh, she is a political activist, a chief advisor to her husband, Byron Sixer Lopez, all of it at the 25th Ward. Renaissance lady uh, when it comes to politics and a good friend of the show. Welcome back, Laureen. Thanks for having me on, Ben. Uh, it's been too long since you were last on. And I have uh, dutifully uh, sent you a cheat sheet with the co topics we want to cover. We have a lot of topics having to do with the EPA, with union activism at the EPA. One of my favorite unions uh, is the one that you're in. And talk about rollbacks by the EPA, then move it to uh, sort of national politics, AOC, uh, and uh, her criticism at moderates, and then close it on the local level. So that's kind of the agenda we're going to pursue. Let's start with uh, what's going on at the EPA. Donald Trump lost. Yay. Joe Biden won. Uh, your union has had a very difficult time, to put it mildly, Lorene, uh, with the Trump administration. Uh, talk about the latest little harassment tactic, the phishing email. That's just to show you Donald Trump may have lost the election, but they're still harassing uh, EPA employees. Talk about that, Lori. Yeah, it was really silly. Um, last Tuesday, the day before Veterans Day, uh, they sent out an email saying, you know, update to the telework policy post-COVID-19. And so, you know, for folks who are paying attention, they'll know that this whole pandemic, the Trump administration has pr been trying to make an example of EPA employees and 
in particular to send them back to work so that they could create this illusion that everyone can go back to work because EPA workers are going back to work on public transportation, going to their offices. We fought that all summer. Um, Our union's never been more mobilized, more united uh, over fighting that. So many of our colleagues were in disbelief that the union would send us or the the agency would send us to our deaths like that. Um, And so just on Tuesday, they sent out an email saying they had an update to the telework policy and the telework policy in this email said, oh, you know, from now until the end of the pandemic, employees can stay home for um, to continue to do their work productively. Basically, the humane policy we've been asking for this whole time to to not have a schedule to send us back to work until it's safe. And then there was a link to click. And then it turns out it was a phishing email to um, enter your email and your um, password. And so we were like saying, oh, wow, it's spam. Turns out it was a spam email from the agency um, telling us, oh, you guys are really bad at security awareness and you guys all click the campaign. Um, don't trust any unsolicited emails, that type of thing. And it was it caused a lot of outrage among workers because, you know, this is it's as if you're sending out an email to hungry people saying, hey, free sandwiches in the lobby. Oh, just kidding. You shouldn't have clicked that link, you know, when it's a really bad faith thing to do to employees. They were taunting you. They were baiting you, it seems like. That's right. Yeah. And they, and they were mocking security concerns while they did it. Because if they had legitimate com- uh, security concerns about computers, they could have sent out an email saying just that. Do you exactly. follow me? Yeah. They could have said, look out for <laughs> suspicious emails that you might get. Mm-hmm. And uh, help us out if you get them and report them. No, they sent a suspicious email to you. Right. And this was such a tailored attack at like our humanity and the things that we want. It's like, you know, you don't send out an email to a listserv of kidney recipients saying we got free kidneys. Uh, Everyone reply to get one. You know, it's really a bad faith uh, email. And if and if they wanted to um, control for our safety and security, then they could do it without uh, something that you know, tailored to what we want. And sure, sure. If a, if a phishing email was that specific, um, if the agency, I mean, it, it kind of shows the vulnerability in their own policies. If they're denying us something that's so basic to our humanity and safety as workers, and then a phishing email comes offering us that humanity, then clearly their policy is causing a vulnerability in our security and they should really change their terrible policies. Yeah, no, it's across the board. Uh, it's a, a pretty sneaky, low-life thing to do. They're making fun of you. They're making fun of the issue. And by the way, I just got an update, just popped over my uh, my phone here. Corey Lewandowski, a Trump confident, tested positive for the virus as outbreaks persist among the president's aides. So it's like the, the bizarre thing about the Trump administration. And ben, let me just say this. I should have said this up front. Lorraine Targos uh, is protected by our union. She's allowed to say the things she's saying because she's First Amendment rights in this country, Donald Trump. So do not punish her for coming on my show and speaking her mind. I had to say that, Lorraine. I should have said that up front. Um, but Thank uh, you. But uh, on, the, on the one hand, mm-hmm. this is a very serious virus that uh, is raging once again throughout the country, uh, affecting people in the Trump circle. Trump himself had it. Of course, he had around the clock. Uh, paid for by the taxpayers' medical assistance. They mm-hmm. helicoptered him 
from the White House to Walter Reed. Right. Uh, you know, so on the one hand, they're impacted by it. But on the other hand, they trivialize and, and mock the concerns that uh, EPA uh, employees might have who don't have access, by the way, Lorene, to like helicopters that fly them to Walter Reed. Exactly. It's it's a total scam and it's just exposing the inhumanity that is normalized in this country. So, All right. So be, um, before we uh, leave Trump and go to Biden, which your hopes are for uh, Biden, you, your union re- recently ratified a contract. Uh, did they are you do you think it was a fair contract uh, or do you do you think you could undo it? Would you like to undo it? Yeah, you know, we were this whole situation of the contract, it was we were pushed into the contract under duress. They illegally imposed um, a, a directive onto us. So we weren't bargaining under the conditions of our old contract. We were bargaining under the conditions of an imposed contract. So our workers, our union was being restricted in a very unethical way. But because Trump had stacked the Federal Relations Board, we really didn't have any recourse. So we negotiated a new contract. We ratified it. Um, and it's a seven-year contract. We do have the option to open it um, for renegotiation, and we're hoping that we can do that under uh, a President Biden. So what's your general sense of what life will be like, not just for EPA employees, but for government workers across the board uh, who have been tormented by the Trump administration? What are your hopes for and expectations for from uh, the Biden administration? Um, my expectations for the Biden administration are, you know, not very high. I know it'll be a lot better than under Trump. Um, Trump was uh, on an all out war against our agency in particular and against federal workers in general. And so I expect that to subside and uh, a more peaceful relationship, more collegial relationship to come again between the agency and its workers. But then I also expect um, our union and our workers to really remember that, you know, Biden isn't going to hand us everything to change it so that if someone ter- if Trump is reelected in 2024, we need to create uh, we have to have a contract that can protect us from someone like Trump in the future, because that, you know, what we have endured is really uh, such a terrible thing for our agency, for our nation's uh, environmental and public health protections. And so we need to build in an infrastructure um, today into our institutions so that we don't we aren't vulnerable like Trump exposed us to be. By the way, you mentioned something, uh, Trump in the future. Yeah. And uh, Biden was victorious, I say it, mm-hmm. uh, uh, in this last election. Donald Trump is in a ser- serious state of denial. But Donald Trump did get close to 48% of the vote, I want to say. 70 million people voted for him. Uh, Donald Trump and his uh, supporters view this uh, at wor- uh, worst as a temporary setback and they're it's pretty clear uh Lorene, that they're not going to subside and compromise with joe biden so mm-hmm. like what's your sense of what the political future is uh for progressives uh at this moment joe biden has won this election but mm-hmm. do you think trumpism has waned 
Not at all. In fact, it's becoming even more emboldened. If you look, um, 75% of Republicans don't believe that the election was handled in a in a fair way. They believe it was stolen. Um, that type of prevalence of misinformation is hugely concerning for the stability of our democracy. And unfortunately, when Joe Biden ran, he ran mostly on a platform of platitudes and just not being Trump. And so if we're trying to fight fascism, we need to look at his History and look at going forward what is going to be a long-term solution to this insane vulnerability we have in this country to fascism and white supremacy. We need to build uh, an America that's going to reach to people in, in a way that's not just, oh, he's not Trump, but in a way to touch the material interests of people to build a loyalty to a party that is not fascist. And so, you know, if you see Biden won, but we also lost seats in the House and we we didn't get the Senate back, we need to make sure that we're building a, a vision for Americans that they can continue to see not only you know, for the next election cycle, but for the next generation, what are we trying to end climate change? Are we trying to create a world where everyone can have health care? We need to get people on board with that vision and fight for it together, not just every cycle say, I'm not Trump, because the next Trump, it you know, if Trump wins again or the next Trump is going to be more charismatic, more effective at subverting a moderate corporate message. If you look, Marco Rubio put out a statement saying the Republicans future is not being a corporatist party, but in fact, being exactly what Hitler was, a national socialist, you know, nationalistic populist party that spoke to the needs of working people who were of the Aryan race. And if the Democrats don't get on board with helping working people who are the majority of this country, we're going to lose and be in a horribly dangerous position for the exact people who won this election for Biden, for uh, black and brown and indigenous communities, for the most vulnerable people of this country. Uh, let's get a little more speci- uh, specific. Uh, I'm thinking right now of uh, the New Green Deal. And the way in which Donald Trump and Mike Pence uh, weaponized that, just the mm-hmm. phrase itself, it, it, it rang a certain bell in the minds of, of voters. And one of the things I was disappointed with mm-hmm. uh, with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris in those debates is that they did not defend the concepts behind uh, the New Green Deals, almost as in they bought into the criticism uh, that Donald Trump was making. And later, moderates would tell me, Lorraine, they go, well, Ben, you got to understand, this is about winning Pennsylvania. And the Green New Deal would upset people in Pennsylvania because of the issue of fracking. So we have to, that's some lefty stuff for you guys. But if mm-hmm. we're running uh, nationwide, we have to... Uh, leave the Green New Deal. What's your thoughts about this debate? My thoughts about that are that it's not true. I mean, we look at, you know, there were 98 co-sponsors of the Green New Deal who were on the ballot. Only one of them lost their election. That's a lot. Moderates have a lot more in their losing column because they aren't taking a bold stance on climate change. You know, if you look at 1965, integration did not pull well. And most voters wanted LBJ um, Johnson to pull back from his agenda of pushing integration in America. Now, you know, the Green New Deal and Medicare for all, these are these are not these should not be partisan issues. These are basic human rights, just like the ability for black and white people to integrate in public space was a human right. And so they really need to stop 
you know, looking at the wins and thinking that's what's going to win their election, but instead be leaders. What are we, are we electing followers who follow the corporate party line or are we electing leaders who are going to change the community for the better? I agree with you. What you said about uh, integration was the right thing. But LBJ, he did say it when he signed uh, the civil rights bill. Well, there goes the South. And guess what? The South was gone. I think he did the right thing. Uh, I think we needed uh, the civil rights bill passed. But the reality is that the Democratic Party was not able uh, to translate that particular uh, legislation into uh, into what you call like a material way Mm -hmm. uh, to win over voters. And uh, voters were manipulated and still are being manipulated by the Republican Party. How can in a material way that how can Democrats and progressives like use the Green New Deal to win over voters uh, in districts that where the, the Democrats aren't popular? Well, we're seeing like even a Fox News poll had the Green New Deal, um, you know, calling the things that are called for in the Green New Deal um, being overwhelmingly supported. Um, I think over 70 percent of voters on a Fox News poll supported increasing government spending on green and renewable energy. And if we can we have elected officials like AOC, now Cori Bush, um, Bernie Sanders and a whole cadre of new leaders who are out there who can um let people know the truth about the Green New Deal. Of course, if we allow Republicans and corporate Democrats to dominate the narrative about the Green New Deal, then they're going to make sure to undersell it in the way that think tanks always do, corporate think tanks always do. But if when AOC and Bernie Sanders went before a coal mining crowd in like West Virginia to talk about, you know, a just transition for people, ordinary people know that the future isn't in coal. They know their grandchildren are not going to be mining coal for a living and feeding their families with it. And they want to know that they have elected officials that care about them, that care about their future, that are going to invest in a sustainable future not only for themselves, but their families. And that's something that we can pitch if we have, you know, if we're speaking candidly, a, a media that isn't profit driven by these same people who are big donors to both major parties. So we really need to talk about how are we going to democratize our media and mass communication? You know, social media was a huge problem. I mean, we have huge problems in this country and we need spaces in the public where we can have reasonable discussions like adults instead of looking at sound bites on different corporate owned cable channels. Uh, another uh issue that uh, was concerned to me uh, during the Trump administration. And we talked about it so much when you were on the show and the rollbacks at the EPA uh, in terms of protecting the environment. I was very disappointed that the Democrats didn't make more of an issue of this. And then my centrist friends uh, would tell me, Ben, nobody cares about this like you do, uh, which is always funny when my centrist friends uh, lecture me. But mm -hmm. anyway, I, I disagree, Lorraine. I, I feel as though, again, the Democratic Party um, lost an opportunity uh, to really put the the focus on Trump in this area. I remember, I think it was in the a vice presidential debate where Mike Pence said something was absolutely preposterous. Maureen, he said, mm -hmm. we've had, we're, we're the most f environmental friendly uh, administration ever, something like that. The water is more pristine than it's ever been. The air is clean. I'm like, what? country what universe what alternative reality are you existing in mm -hmm. and yet the dems they just don't counterpunch mm -hmm. when uh the republicans why do you think there's that reluctance 
I think it's, you know, because they don't want to clean the water up that much either. I mean, Demo- centrist Democrats are opposing the Green New Deal. You know, some I'm, I'm concerned that some of these things that Trump rolled back, they're going to allow to keep in place. We're in this position where Mitch McConnell is still the head of the Senate and Joe Biden's the president. Who knows what kind of you know circus act they're going to have for us where they say, oh, Mitch McConnell stopping me from this and Biden stopping Mitch McConnell from that. And, you know, we need we need leaders that we can trust who we're certain are going to push an agenda that puts the environment and human health first. Um, and I'm not certain that, you know, if Biden wanted, to, if they wanted to clean up, if they wanted to win Michigan by more than they won it by, they could have gone to Flint and said, we're going to replace all your pipes and we're going to go to Chicago and replace all the lead pipes there. And they aren't doing that. And we're in the middle of a recession. We we need that type of, you know, f- new deal that a green new deal provides. We need a massive investment. We need massive infrastructure. We need massive training, human resources. We need to get people back to work. And I don't see a plan yet. You know, they're moving warp speed at talking about transitions. They're appointing all these folks, but I don't see a plan to get America back to work. I don't see a plan to fix our crumbling infrastructure. You know, where, where is all that? I don't see a narrative around that. So who's this for? You talked you were concerned about certain rollbacks that might be kept in place, uh, even under Biden. Uh, anything in particular that you're thinking of? There's nothing in particular because a lot of the rollbacks were Obama era rollbacks or rollbacks of Obama era things. So I believe mm-hmm. that, of course, the things that Biden or that Obama put into place, Biden would be OK with. But there are older things like logging in um, one of the more pristine temperate forest in the United States. I forget the name of the forest, but Trump opened that up to logging and all sorts of things. And, you know, I, I don't know what kind, if they have the same lobbyists who may be talking to them to say, hey, you know, of the 104 rollbacks, keep these five or so. Yeah. Is there something that uh, Joe Biden can do in the next week or, to, or two that would really be reassuring to you, like a, an appointment he could make or a declaration he could make or a signal he could send that would make, get you to think, hey, maybe there is some hope with this administration on these uh, issues that are really important to me? Um, yeah, I'd like to see some movement in rem- uh, in talking about the unity that he had talked about during the campaign. I mean, during the campaign, all they did, you know, from 2016 to 2020, all you and I heard was how it's all Bernie's fault that Hillary didn't win. And then all 2020, Bernie worked his butt off just like he did in 2016 to elect Joe Biden. And they really needed our votes, they said. And suddenly, post-election, they're icing Warren out, they're icing Bernie out. They're saying, they're blaming us and they're having Kasich on TV when it was Stacey Abrams organizers who won Georgia and Kasich didn't deliver Ohio at all. And so I want to see him acknowledging that progressives also won this election for him and that we need to be part of this government. It's if if they're going to treat us like we're an outsiders, then we need to have a coalition government or we're going to have a major existential split in the party. Um, you know, it's it's he's pushing it along. There's it's always unity when it's stuff that they want. But then we want to talk about things that are basic human rights like environmental justice in a real substantial way. And you just don't see the determination to bring in people who, you know, Rashida Tlaib ran up the ran up the percentages in her district to win Michigan. Ilhan Omar ran up the percentages in Minnesota. And yet you don't see those two party leaders being embraced by this administration. 
And I and I want to see that embrace before I can trust that this this administration is really going to listen to a majority of Americans. All right, Lorraine, uh, my advice to you is don't hold your breath on that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, let's shift to um, uh, some local conversation. I know you and I will be having the, the larger discussions about national politics for a long, a long time. Uh, let's, but let's go to uh, the, the local uh, scene. Uh, we're in the middle of a budget uh, season here in Chicago. And in many ways, I just point this out, Chicago is a microcosm of the, the country. And so the larger budget issues that you were talking about in the Democratic Party are live in our very own city council with the mayor and some of the more progressive aldermen, uh, like your husband, D. Uh, just to start off, I'd like to play that PSA announcement uh, that uh, we already played, get uh, Laureen's uh, response to it. Uh, I know she's heard it already uh, because she tweet uh, sent me a tweet. Uh, mayor Lori Lightfoot's PSA, we'll play it and get your uh, thoughts about it, Lorene, and then move on to budget talk. Go ahead, D. Thank God. Science is back, baby. And the earth is round, not flat. (laughs) Washing your hands does work. Social distancing does matter. And wearing a face covering does help protect all of us. I do love science. Uh, the voice at the end uh, was the uh, the health department head. Uh, that's it so was Lori Life. You can't see it uh, when we're doing it on the podcast, but uh, I'm sure most of my listeners have seen it. Already. All right, your general reaction, Laureen. Uh You alerted me to it. So, what's your general reaction? Um, you know, it's just it's a perfect example of the disappointment with the Democratic Party. I mean. Lori Lightfoot says science is back, and yet it was her dismissal of science and listening to lobbyists, which made her open up the bars at the beginning of October, which is why Illinois has the worst COVID rates and COVID death rates in the country right now. Worse than Arizona, worse than Texas, worse than New York. Illinois is the worst right now because of her explicit rejection of science and there's no and because she still has covid rules on her press pool no one can go in there and point that out to her yeah uh but science it's it's funny you're a scientist uh and and science is just the word itself Lorraine, has become how do i put it's it's like a mask Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like wearing a mask. Now, you, you, oh, I'm for science. So that makes you a Democrat. I'm, mm-hmm. I don't trust the side. Makes you Republican. It's so bizarre. I got to tell you, Lorena, uh, confession time here. Very, uh, I was not a good student when it came to science at all. Mm-hmm. And so my general attitude about science is, well, I'm just going to trust the people who are experts at it. And I'm not going to trust like people who know, clearly know nothing about it or know about it as much as I do. You mm-hmm. follow what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and I, I just get the sen- sense that, as a political, it, it, it's become shorthand for something. So like Lori Lightfoot yeah. says, I believe in science. And then the, she has the globe. I don't know if you saw but the globe is the earth mm-hmm. is round. Yeah. Like every, yeah, go ahead. It's, it's such a, I don't know. It's such a, they made it into a culture war. And, you know, if we're talking about unity, I mean, no one's like Dr. Awardy said, 
washing your hand works. Nobody's debating whether or not washing your hands is good. Um, you know, we need to elevate the conversation. I mean, Lori Lightfoot has a, what is it? $1.5 million budget for her press. And that's how much that's where this came from uh, for press aides and all that. And this is what she does to create a, a productive conversation. I mean, the city of Chicago is a perfect example of how it's a Democrat run city. And yet there's nothing progressive going on to address the needs of the most vulnerable people. How is that video doing anything to help the, the working class people that she sent back to work by opening up bars and restaurants when it was unsafe to do so? Well, it's clear that uh, the restaurant industry uh, in, in this town and in this state um, is being battered uh, by the pandemic and by the closings. And so absolutely uh, what is needed is assistance from the federal government. We're not getting right. any assistance from the federal government. And I'm a little disappointed uh, that this is not more of a united appeal Mm -hmm. from all the players in uh, the state of Illinois. It's so bizarre in the state because the Democrats and the Republicans are divided on this very issue. You don't hear any Republicans calling uh, for uh, assistance from the feds. I would have liked to have seen a PSA on that front. Mm -hmm. Do you follow what I'm saying? Because right. you can't open the bars and restaurants. Um, I mean, if you can't open the bars and restaurants, there's a lot of people out of work. Mm -hmm. So I'm sympathetic to them. Do you follow right. what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, we need to. We really need a national freeze on debt. The biggest cost. I've I've talked to restaurant owners across the city. Um, the biggest cost is rent. The ones who own their building have been able to survive um, because they've been able to ask their mortgage companies for, you know, a forbearance. But people who pay rent are not getting support from their landlords. Banks are not doing anything to help these folks. Everyone who's going out to work or going out and catching COVID is going out for two reasons, leisure or work. And work is where we really have the ability, you know, we can shame them all we want about leisure and say, oh, don't go to Thanksgiving and don't go to your friend's house. But going to work and going, you know, that's the type of thing that we really need to do as, an, as a government to pay people to stay home, freeze debt so people can stay home so that we can get over this point where it's spreading like crazy, do a four-week lockdown, pay people for that four-week lockdown, and by the end of the four weeks, have invested in a, a universal contact tracing and testing program so we can get to where Almost tons of other countries have successfully accomplished where they're being able to be partially open and they're able to get their economy going, but people aren't catching COVID left and right and dying. And instead, we're we're involved uh, in this uh, bizarre little battle over washing your hands and wearing a mask. I know you and I are wearing masks. Dennis is wearing, Byron is wearing a mask. Lori, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, the Republican Party has made not wearing a mask their mantra. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it's so easy for Democratic politicians just to fight the mask war. Because right. everybody on their side is on that. It's a mm -hmm. lot harder to fight for the things that you were just talking about.
Yeah, I mean, how, like, the city of Chicago, the state of Illinois could definitely do something where they say, hey, if this bank wants to do business in our state, they need to do some sort of accommodation for these restaurant owners. Have we seen any initiative on that? No. And I'm certainly not the smartest person in the room. And so somebody is capable of thinking of that. They just, there's no political will coming from the top. There's plenty of political will on the ground, but we don't have any say, apparently. Lorene, um, your uh, your ward is the 25th ward, and that includes Chinatown. And uh, speaking of the restaurant industry, uh, Chinatown, that's probably the number one industry in that area. How is mm-hmm. uh, how's that that section of your ward been impacted uh, by the pandemic? Um, there have been some restaurant closings. Again, it's usually the ones where they're paying rent and they don't own the building. Um, a lot of the banquet type restaurants, the banquet style restaurants, those are struggling the most. Um, restaurants where you have to dine in like hot pot versus where the, the restaurants where you can have takeout, just like pizza, they're doing okay, is my understanding. Um, but yeah, it's a challenge for everybody. You know, restaurant, some restaurants are doing takeout only and that's a, that's a big sacrifice for them because if they can have a little bit of dine in, they might be able to have more business, but they're choosing the safety of their workforce. But um, you know, it's a challenge all around. And they've been, unlike the rest of Chicago, they've been kind of suffering from this since as far back as December and January of this year, when the COVID stuff was going on and just in China and folks were having this xenophobic reaction. And you find that throughout this pandemic, I mean, in last week, zip code 60616, which is Chinatown, was the only zip code to have a reduction in COVID spread. And every other zip code in Chicago had an increase. But that zip code was was reduced because in that neighborhood, they're particularly sensitive to, you know, the the seriousness of COVID. By the way, have you seen the the documentary City So Real? I have. Did the this is the scenes in Chinatown with the restaurant owners uh, during uh, those are powerful scenes. I don't know if you remember what I'm talking about. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of powerful scenes in the movie. I'm just when you mentioned the the restaurants in Chinatown, I urge everybody mm-hmm. to check that flick out. Um, all right, we have this is all a prelude uh, to a um, a budget debate that we're about to have in the Chicago City Council. Uh, what priorities would you like to see emerge from uh, the budget? I really hope that the mayor um, is forced back from her position on taxing the poor um, during this pandemic. And I hope the alderman sent her back to the drawing table to find some progressive taxes. There's not one progressive tax in this entire budget. There's a property tax increase, um, but there's nothing for to support working people and to tax the big corporations that have been making astronomical profits. And so I'd, I'd like to see that. I'd see. I'd like to see a vacancy tax, which again I think would support these restaurants. I mean, if if you're going to tax um, a landlord who has a vacant restaurant or or home right now, then you can create an a incentive to make them fill that vacancy at perhaps a lower rate that they were holding out for. You know, you see vacant. So there's so there's more vacancies in Chicago than there are homeless families. And we need to do something about that and incent- that economic market incentive that makes it more profitable for a landlord to keep a va- unit vacant rather than house one of Chicago's unhoused families, which ends up costing everyday Chicagoans more in, you know, public service costs. So what would, how would that tax work? Um, my understanding is the tax would work in that, you know, if you have a property that's habitable yet vacant for a period Mm -hmm. of time, you would get charged a tax for it 
or, and that would create an incentive for you to rent it out at maybe a lower rate than you were holding out for. In other words, I get you the incentive, the tax incentive would go to somebody who uh, is filling his or her property. Yeah, I was Uh, talking to a a restaurant owner the other day and they were saying that their landlord has every incentive to keep raising the rent on them to push them out because if they, then in their rental agreement, all of the the infrastructure that they put in, the grill and all the other things that are in the restaurant stay with the building. So if the landlord, if they can't make their rent and they have to leave, they lose $100,000 of the equity they put into that. And the landlord has no incentive to make it easier for them to stay because they can then have $100,000 of property that now becomes into their possession that they can use to charge an even higher rent to some other maybe more um, cash ready, you know, a Chipotle instead of a local taco place. You know, I, I got you. Bob. Uh, you were talking about more progressive taxation. Uh, yes, the mayor has been very clear. She's does not want to head in that direction. Uh, she was not, to put it mildly, a vociferous supporter of the fair tax initiative that just went sure. down to defeat. Mm-hmm. Uh, in general, I was disappointed uh, with uh, the Democratic Party uh, on this matter. Most elected officials, few elected officials, I should say, uh, really st- took an, uh, an open stance in favor of it. They're all kind of shying away. And generally what they would say to me is, uh, well, Ben, you got to understand uh, that if I get too close to this, uh, it'll turn people off, which is such a bizarre position to take, Laureen. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, you're. it's almost like <laughs> you realize people don't like you. So if, if you become associated with uh, an issue, you're feeding into the narrative that uh, the right wing was putting out about it. Uh, what's your take on the fair tax and how it went down? Well, it might be a good example of how the Democrats are wrong about, you know, the Republicans put out a narrative and then they... Uh, acceded to that Republican narrative and stayed away from it. And what did we get? We lost. And so they need a different strategy if their intention is to win, which is still questionable if that truly is their intention. Um, Yeah. So it was a really big disappointment. I wish the language, you know, the campaign could have been run entirely different. Me running campaigns. I mean, they had all the money in the world to pull a thousand different types of messages. They could have said, Hey, if we call the fair tax, the eat the rich tax, would that have pulled better if we called the fair tax the Ken Griffin tax? Would that have pulled better if we called it? You know, they they could have done a million things with messaging and polling to make this thing a guaranteed winner. They didn't, and I need to ask myself why because I'm not in the room of the people who were the decision makers, so I can only speculate. Right. All right, you're not a state rep, uh, so this will be a lot easier for many uh, of my other guests to answer. Your thoughts on Michael Madigan's position as the head of the Democratic Party in the state of Illinois? I mean, he should have stepped down a long time ago. He's in nothing but a liability. Um, you know, he, he creates a culture of fear in the entire state, and we can't, we really can't move forward. I'm really disappointed that my national union, AFGE, um, and was signed on to that statement that they that came out the other day um, supporting him from CFL. Um, I denounced it on my Twitter account, which was retweeted zero times, but <laughs> I still I still said my piece. <laughs> oh, Lorene, <laughs> got a lot of guts. That's what I gotta say. You got a lot of guts. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> and I mean, it's, it's, I yeah. understand the position that unions are in. It's, it's tough for them. You know, it, it, we're in this crazy position where it's between Madigan and Browner. Yeah. And when will we be a liberated people to have a better choice? We really need to ask ourselves that as this, the, 
the beleaguered citizens of the state of Illinois, what is it going to take to be free? And, you know, part the key of that question is what is it going to be? Is the same national question. What is it going to take to be free of um, Trump and Trumpism? And that's eradicating white supremacy, eradicating, putting profit over people. Is America ready to do that? Uh, The socialists are. And we really love the rest of America to come along with us because it's real nice over here where you get free health care. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to have free health care myself. Uh, Lorraine Targos, thanks so much. It's always fun talking to you and uh, keep up the fight. All right. Yeah, thanks for having me on. That's great, Lorraine Targos. Uh, and she tells it like it is and the way she sees it, D. I've never had a guest to come on and just flat out say that about Madigan. I think I'm the only one who says stuff like that. Anyway, uh, that's Lorraine Targos. What you got for me, D? Any updates? Lorraine Targos. <laughs> Lorraine Targos. No, but come on, man. Yeah. She just said it. She's like, we got to liberate her. I'm like, what? have you ever, think about it, all the people we've had conversations with about Michael Joseph Madigan on this show. Have you ever heard someone say that? No. I'm like, uh, a lot of guts. We got to bring her back. Let's get, let's make it a weekly deal. Come on, Lorraine. She's awesome. <laughs> she is awesome. She tells it like it is, or she tells it exactly how she feels. And I got a lot of respect for her. All right, D, what are the updates? Hey, what's that? Yeah. Oh, oh. Ben, the newsroom is flagging me down once again. So they're working hard today. Yeah, that one guy sure is working hard today. All right. uh, Let me run to the newsroom real quick, see what this guy's got for me. Hang tight, everybody. I know we're live. Just one second. Hold on. Hey, give me the story. We're live. Come on. Thank you. Oh, wow. Ben, breaking news. Oh, okay. Your 2020 Illinois general election results. By the way, newsroom guy, don't touch my white claws. It's hanging in my apartment. Those are mine. Uh. The Associated Press has called it. Democratic incumbent Lauren Underwood wins re-election to U.S. House in Illinois' 14th Congressional District. They called it, Ben. All right, hold on. We're going over to uh, James Oberweiss for comment. Mr. Oberweiss, your comment. Sorry, Dan. I'm I'm canceling the ice cream party. (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, you got to give Wasserman credit. Uh, and, and Frank, you would want to send me that uh, uh, tweet that he um, put out. That's the uh, political observer. He's like a real, you know, he's like, he takes me to the next level, you know. So he's looking at all this washerman. Um, uh, he's he's looking at all the outstanding votes. He made this prediction three days ago, and she, I don't even think she was winning when he made the prediction. So, yeah, you got to count the votes, Oberweiss. It's something called a democracy. You count the votes. You just can't let your votes be the one. It's a unique principle in democracy. John James up in Michigan, are you listening? Donnie Trump in Washington, are you listening? You count the votes. You don't just end an election (laughs) while you're ahead, even though there's more outstanding votes. Now, it's funny. The Republicans understand that principle when they are losing at the outset. You don't see any Republicans saying, stop the counting in Arizona. So, yeah, yeah, Wasserman called it two days ago, and, a- and the AP finally caught up with him. 
Congratulations, uh, Lauren Underwood. All right. More breaking news. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Good afternoon, everyone. Oh, hey. Good okay. afternoon, Mayor. How are you? Gone? The following yeah. comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and, yeah, Fran the Woe Man Spielman. Uh, warning that 1,000 more Chicagoans could die by year's end. Mayor Lightfoot today issued a stay-at-home advisory and slapped a mandatory 10-person lid on social gatherings to control a second surge of coronavirus cases that will be worse than the first. Uh, Lightfoot implored Chicagoans to shake off COVID fatigue, uh, order small turkeys this Thanksgiving, and resist the temptation to open their homes to extended families. Uh, Lightfoot said, quote, if we continue on the path we're on and you, me, and others don't step up and do more, we could see at least a thousand more Chicagoans die by the end of the year. Uh, no one can maintain the status quo in the face of this very stark reality, the mayor said. The city once again is trying to bend the curve of new cases to get our lives back to some sense of normalcy. We're a long way from where we need to be, said Mayor Lightfoot. Yeah, this is uh, the tough Mayor Lightfoot as opposed to the nice Mayor Lightfoot that get, that was portrayed in that PSA that we've uh, been playing all day. I find this so frustrating. It's particularly after listening to Laureen uh, Targos, just some excellent suggestions she was proposals she was putting out there. There's just no unity. Well, there's no unity in the country at all on this matter that we, we've talked about that so much, but even within the democratic party, uh, making some kind of concerted appeal to the national government, uh, to not only just approach to dealing uh, with the pandemic itself, but just an approach into assisting people and industries uh, that are really clobbered by it. You know, the inability to make a living at this point. So yeah, it's, it's a very frustrating time. Uh, and it's so bizarre to hear like a, the mayor. It's just, just one little corner of it's a big corner to us because we live here deep, but it's just one little corner of the country and of the universe. And it just seems like we're so divided in this country right now on this very important issue. Very frustrating indeed. All right. And now what has come to be maybe my least favorite thing to do on the program Listing mitigation rules. All right, here we go. Uh, Non-essential out-of-state travel is a no-no. So are at-home gatherings with anybody outside your immediate household, except for essential, uh, essential staff, which includes home health care workers or educators. Uh, the 10-person limit on meetings and social events also takes effect 6 a.m. on Monday. Ooh. Fitness clubs, retail stores, hairdressers, barbershops, and movie theaters that have their own capacity mandates are not impacted by the 10-person limit. Generally, the capacity ceiling at those locations is 40% or 50 people, whichever is fewer. City Hall is also launching a community outreach effort in coronavirus hotspots on the northwest and southwest sides. More than 1,000 city employees and 550 contact tracers will join forces with hundreds of community-based organizations to reach vulnerable Chicagoans under the plan. Yeah, scary times. We knew it was coming. And I don't know how long this one's going to last, D. Uh, we just, but the fire pit. Have you over? We're going to have the fire pit, D. So is that going to be illegal under this? 
you know, like this little pit we put logs in. You have a fire. You could sit outside. Wait, are you saying you, you got a new fire pit? Yeah. Hell yeah, dude. That's exactly what I'm, <laughs> that's exactly what I'm saying. Oh, my God. Uh, in anticipation of this. But I don't know. Are the rules going to say you can't sit around the fire pit? I don't know what the rules are. Only one way to find out. Let's have that fire pit party, buddy. Maybe eight. <laughs> okay. Maybe eight people. I don't know. Yeah, we're limited. It's going to be a small party, all right, Mayor? I swear, it's just we're definitely not getting anywhere close to 10. Maybe the bowling team. All right. I love fire pits. You're going to look out your window one night at like 1 in the morning. Who's that homeless man? (laughs) That's just me. Snuck in your backyard at a little uh, fire pit party. Yeah. Well, I know. uh, Yeah, my wife's all excited about it. You know, she's really into building fires and stuff. So it'll be fun. What's up we can do in December, D? We'll be sitting around the fire pit. Right? Hell yeah. But no reefer. No reefer, because you and I are both off a reefer, right? Well, I mean, if someone has it around, we'll smoke that. You know what I mean? All right. What the hell? You know, it's a fire pit. What are you going to do around a fire pit? Yes, Brianna on the live stream chat. Fire pits rock. It is true. Yeah. All right. That's our show today, everybody. Uh, Make sure to reach out to us. Uh, Several ways to do that. At Benny J Show, B E N N Y, the letter J Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can always send us an email, Benny J Show at gmail.com. Leave your name uh, and where you're from. Very helpful. Makes it sound really good on a podcast when we read your uh, voice or your uh, email. And you can call the Ben Jarofsky Show. It's true. 708 658 4788. The number again 708 658 4788. Listener Jim sent us a voicemail while we were doing the show. Uh, Jim, not playing that voicemail. It's a really uh, inside baseball and in what the live stream chat was talking about today. Looking for a uh, voicemail that everybody can relate to when they hear it. 708-658-4788. Oh, and of course, the Ben Jarofsky Show brought to you by Fire Pits. That is correct. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Lorene Targos. Great job as always. Uh, and uh, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as Lorene can tell you, and as Lori Life can tell you, it's one thing Lorene and Lori agree on. Back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, everyone. That is correct. That is correct. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, everyone. That is correct.